It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We've spent the last eight weeks studying the whole armor of God, spiritual warfare, um, the battle that a believer does face. And now we're drawing in towards the conclusion of this letter. And Paul's done a brilliant job of drawing this metaphorical picture of an ancient Roman soldier's armament and how that correlates to the whole armor of God gifted to the believer by God with the believer's responsibility to take up that armor, to put on that armor. His soldiers, true Christians. We've studied the effectiveness of a properly armed and armored soldier, how he can, is able to stand in defense against his enemy. We looked last week at a, train, a trained swordsman for someone to use the sword, the Makaira sword, in close hand-to-hand combat battle, he had to know how to use that sword with precision. And last time we looked at the drastic need that the Christian has in properly and rightly wielding this sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There is a many people who wield this in a very ineffective, incorrect manner, But the soldier of Jesus Christ must know how to wield this sword with accuracy, with precision. In other words, to know what it means by what it says. And if you missed that message, I encourage you to go to our website and you can can catch it there. But there's this call for this need of readiness for the soldier. And no matter how strong or talented a military soldier may be, no matter how well he's armored, it will benefit him nil to go into the battlefield without courage and without strength. He can be all armed up, he can be looking good, polished up, ready to roll, and if he has no courage, if he has no strength, he'll be done. But as necessary as strength and courage is for the military soldier, no matter how much courage you may have or how much strength you may have as a believer, a Christian soldier cannot stand in his own strength in this unseen battle. You will soon fall prey if you walk in your own strength. Because the Christian has no resource of strength in and of himself. Zero. And this morning, we will see that Paul is now going to discard the metaphors of this whole armor in all of this armament, and he's going to exhort the church to engage themselves in prayer. Prayer is not a piece of the armor. Prayer is the power underneath the armor. Prayer is the power that enables the armor to be effective. And this is to pray on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, and with all kinds of requests to have victory over Satan and his hosts of wickedness requires committed prayer of the believer or you will be done. All through the donning of the armor we ought to be praying. The whole armor, actually prayer is interwoven within all of those pieces of armor. It is not a piece of the armor. It is the power that enables the armor. Prayer is really the key that implements all of the blessings that are defined for us in chapter uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 3, that we as believers in Christ have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you're in Christ, He chose you before the foundation of the earth. We learned that in chapter 1. That you were predestined. God chose you. He selected. He picked you out. You've been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. That you've been redeemed. You've been bought back at a great price. You're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at you, He sees perfect perfection. Flawless perfection. Perfect righteousness because of the righteousness of His Son that shrouds you, covers you. 
and to understand all of the blessings and to see them worked out in and through our lives, we must pray constantly without ceasing as we'll see. Paul himself prayed that the church would understand the truths defined in chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 1, verse 16, Paul prayed, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints. So Paul's prayer was that the veil would be lifted, that there be a heart of understanding to all that you have in Christ according to the Scriptures. Child of God, to have that assurance. But with all that knowledge and all the knowledge that we've gained over the last 12 months, having been in Ephesians for a year now, there's a potential danger here. There's a yield sign now. There's caution that must be embraced when we come to this point. And the danger is having confidence in knowledge alone about the source of the truth. Rather rather than having a deepening dependence upon the author of the truth. Many people have great knowledge, theological knowledge, doctrinal knowledge. They're powerless. Powerless. The caution is that we don't become spiritually boastful in what we know. What we've gained knowledge of through the Word. Which is all by Christ anyway. Rather than being constantly prayerful because of who we are in Christ. You know, it's been said that it's easy to become a spiritual atheist. Easy to become a spiritual atheist, meaning that it's easy to become void of the absolute necessity of God in your life because of the knowledge that you have. You can be a walking book of theology and be powerless in your Christian life. Powerless. I constantly remind these men, I spend Sundays as my favorite day of the week because I get to do this, my passion. But on Thursday night I spend it with my 17, 18 men as we're going through the deep things of God, doctrine, theology, teaching these men theology, and I can't believe how quickly they've grown in a year. It's amazing. And because of that quick growth, I continually remind them as they've grown so greatly that they must beware of the sin of pride that comes from knowledge. Paul wrote about the Old Testament believers and those who are mixed in with true believers who are no believers at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, he says, All these things happened to them as examples, written about the children of Israel and their wanderings in the wilderness and so on, written for our admonition, therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. You cannot stand as a soldier of Jesus Christ, void of knowledge. No doubt about that, because everything begins with right and proper thinking. Amen? You cannot stand as a soldier without proper knowledge. But the yield sign here is that it's just as certain that you cannot stand as a soldier in knowledge alone. Therefore, Ephesians 6.18 instructs us, pray always, with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit, being watchful, to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer is what we're going to talk about today. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a true biblical Christian, you might say you're a Christian, but if you're not a Christian according to what Scripture defines as a Christian... 84% of Americans say they're Christian. If you're not a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, and that there's fruit of repentance in your life bearing witness of the fact that you are a child of God, your prayers go as high as the ceiling. God does not hear your prayers if you are not in Christ. Proverbs 15, verse 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. The only people that are righteous are those who are in Christ. Those who are born again of the Spirit of God, covered and shrouded by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, 
Those are the only righteous people there are. Psalm 34.15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. Otherwise they're closed. Psalm 145 verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. Now listen to this. Who, to all who call upon Him in truth. You know, there's been a lot of foxhole conversions. Amen? People are in trouble. Foxhole, you dig it out. Soldiers who are at war, they know they're about to ready to face death. And they're in the foxhole. They're looking up. They cry out to God. Whatever you want me to do, just spare my life and I'll come to you. I'll, I'll surrender to you. God gets them out of the predicament. They don't go on to serve God. It's those who call upon Him in truth. There's only one way to heaven. There's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go in that way, Jesus said. But there's one road, one gate. It's narrow, it's straight, and the turnstile is Jesus Christ. And very few go in thereby, Jesus said. There's only few who make it through. Many people think they know God and they don't. The psalmist goes on to say, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He also will hear the cry, their cry, and He will save them. You know the first prayer that the, Lord's, that the Lord wills to hear of the non-believer is one prayer, and it's a prayer of true repentance. True repentance. Submission to Him as God. Many of us have spent our lives before coming to faith in Jesus Christ by His grace attempting to conform God into our image. Well, I say God is like this. Well, I say God is like this. God says, I am who I am, and I've created you in my image to serve me. He's the only way. Even the prayers of Israel, when they were in their rebellion, were not heard. They were not heard. In Isaiah chapter 59 Isaiah, or I should, the Lord speaks through Isaiah and clearly says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. Anyone who's not in Christ, their hands are defiled with the sinful blood that there must be payment for. And if you're in Christ, you've been covered by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Amen? Well, now you might go, well, that was Old Testament, and that has to do with Israel. John chapter 9, verse 31. We know God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, He hears Him. God hears only the prayers of those that are redeemed. Unless it's a prayer of repentance to submit to the Lordship of God Almighty through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we're here today, brothers and sisters, to talk about the depth and intimacy of your soul today in relationship to Jesus Christ by way of prayer. And there's five points we're going to look at. Five points of focus. It's in your handout. Number one is the regularity of prayer. Number two, the diversity of prayer. Number three, the power of prayer. The approach of prayer. And finally, the focus of prayer for those who are in Christ. And then we'll conclude with verse 19. We'll see Paul's kingdom-focused request. And then in verse 20, his servant-minded reminder to us. Amen? Let's get right to it. Verse 18. Point number one, the regularity of prayer. How often are we in Christ supposed to pray? Pray, pray always. See, prayer is the foundation and the recurring conduit of the armor's ability to maintain function. Prayer is the foundation and the recurring conduit of the uh, armor's ability to maintain function, to work correctly, to be applicable. It must be covered or empowered by a life of prayer for the believer. Prayer. The tense of the verb here, pray, present tense. 
Believers are to keep on praying, to always be praying. Jesus taught that men ought always to pray and not faint or not lose heart. In Luke 18, verse 1, to lose heart or to become faint means to give in to evil, to become weary or cowardly. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the early church apostles, they said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. A pastor's real main job is to pray on behalf of the believers of his body and to study the Word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we believers are called to pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you're a believer, God's will is that you pray without ceasing. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Earnestly means to be courageous and persistent. To be, vig to be vigilant in prayer means to be alert, attentive, knowing what to pray according to what the Word says. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, the night that he was arrested, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh? The flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. My flesh is really weak. Got to die of that flesh, amen? In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, we see the marks of a true Christian, some of which are that they rejoice in hope that they're patient in tribulation, and that they continue steadfastly in prayer. Perhaps you experience bouts of anxiety. You don't have to raise your hand, but do you experience bouts of anxiety? And if you do, there is a cure today for you. There's always been a cure, but we're going to reveal it to you through Scripture. Alright? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if you want to be cured from anxiety, every time that something comes up in your life to where you're being led to be overcome with anxiety, lift it up in prayer with thanksgiving. God, this is going on in my life. I don't understand it, but I thank you that you're allowing me to go through this trial. I give it to you. I pray for wisdom in the process. Let it go. Just do practically what you have to do according to what is written in Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. In Acts chapter 10, we read the story of Cornelius, a Gentile Roman soldier, who, Scripture says, gave regularly and prayed continually. And then one day, an angel appears to him. And the angel says that your prayers and your giving have ascended to God as a memorial. Sweet-smelling incense to the Lord are the prayers of the saints. So now we ask the question, well, how do we pray at all times? Pray without ceasing? How do we do that? I've got to go to work. I've got to raise my kids. I've got to wipe the dirty nose of my son or my daughter. It takes work. Right? How do we do all this as we're surrounded by the cares of life? Andrew Murray writes, and I quote, How can a mother love her child without ceasing? How can the eyelids protect the eye without ceasing? How can I breathe, feel, and hear without ceasing? Because all these are functions of a healthy, natural life. Your eye, you don't have to think about your eyes blinking, do you? You don't have to think about breathing. You have not, not one person in here has thought about breathing, concentrated on breathing since you've walked in this morning. Amen? And so, if the spiritual life is healthy, under the full power of the Holy Spirit, praying without ceasing will be natural. It's a natural function of a healthy child of God who's growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ by His grace. Now, we can't obviously spend our time in quiet time. We think of prayer as, oh, that's my quiet time. No, but we can be in continual communion with God. 
when we think of prayer as spiritual breathing. Just like the lungs work naturally. They inhale, they exhale. You don't have to think about it unless there's something wrong. So should the life of the believer in prayer be. This is the air that our spirits must breathe. And it all begins and ends with a spirit of thankfulness. A thankful heart. You know, I truly believe that you can measure the quality and the maturity of one's prayer life as well as the quality and maturity of a Christian's daily walk by the amount of thankfulness that pours out from that person to God secretly. You can test your maturity level as to how thankful you are. Because all through Scripture we pray unceasingly with thanksgiving. Thankful. A thankful heart. We read the words, hopefully you read the words that were on these songs this morning. The cross cost greatly. Do you understand the price of the cross? Do you understand the cost, the pain, the suffering to count you righteous? Hopefully we do. Your flesh won't. You must crucify that flesh. Amen? The only good in me and the only good in you is Jesus Christ in you. That's it. And Christ in me. He is it. Thanksgiving. So fellowship with God, communion with God, is a continuous, constant awareness of God throughout every day, throughout every situation. God conscious. Every part of my life. Constantly God conscious. Which is simply an overflow of seeing all of life from God's perspective. And the only way that you or I can see our lives through the perspective of God, through the eyes of God, to have an eternal perspective is to be absolutely saturated with His Word. To know what it means by what it says. And when you know what it means by what it says, you will pray accordingly. Amen? That's why we study verse by verse here. So we know what it means by what it says. And the way I teach will hopefully teach you how to study the Bible. You don't need to go read 18 chapters in a day and you know, punch the card of you know, spiritual fulfillment for the day. No. Did you understand what you read? Amen? And then apply it. An overflow, seeing all of life from the perspective of Christ. And that leads to point number two, the diversity of prayer. What kinds of prayer? All prayer and supplication. So there's more than one kind of prayer. There's prayer, there's supplication, there's intercession, there's thanksgiving. Prayer is general requests. Supplication refers to specific requests. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, I pray and hopefully you pray for the general well-being of this body of believers. That your inner person, your inner man, your inner woman would be strengthened. Not to be carelessly, just flippantly praying about material possessions. But for the spiritual strength of those in Christ. Paul prayed that. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, he said, It is this, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Remember that? Then it goes on to say that so Christ can settle down and be at home, basically. So that Christ can dwell in you. If the Spirit's in you, well, if the Spirit's in me, doesn't Christ dwell in me? Yeah. But if my life isn't in line with what He's directed through Scripture, Christ can't settle down and be at home. He can only settle down and be at home in a house that's not all a mess. Spiritual mess. Strengthen to the inner man. Pray that for one another. So we can be praying generally for the body here, while at the same time we can be specifically praying for someone that we love dearly who's lost. Who's outside of Christ. Specifically praying for their salvation. Specifically praying that they will begin to see their sin as God sees it. That God will draw them to Himself. That God will lift the veil of blindness and breathe life into them. Specifically praying on their behalf. Coming, that's called intercession. 
That's interceding on someone else's behalf. You have prayer, general prayers, supplication, specifics, interceding on the behalf of others. Unbelievers' prayer, they have no power. So we as believers, we have power, we have access to God because we're in Christ, therefore we ought to pray for unbelievers, you see? Pray for someone this morning at a red light. You know, they walk in front of you or they drive by and for some reason they just kind of stuck out to me and I pray for their salvation. I don't know who they are. Lord, I pray that you'll prompt that person, bring that person to repentance if they don't know you. Put people into their life that will present the true gospel of Jesus Christ, not this cheap, glossy gospel that Jesus loves you and wants to make your life happy. Right? Because that's not the gospel. True gospel, truth. Psalm 55, 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. This refers to different kinds of prayer that are per- performed in public worship like this. In family or in your prayer closet, in your business, on the way, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the wayside. Praying for all things at all times. And prayer should never be limited to any certain place, any certain time, or any specific circumstance. But constant. Continual for the believer. Now throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible, people have prayed while standing, while kneeling, while sitting, while looking up, while bowing down, while lifting hands, praying in the morning, praying midday, praying at evening, praying when they're in trouble, praying when they're at peace, giving thanks, praying with joy, praying while they're young, praying while they're old, praying out loud, praying in the heart, prayed with their lips moving, prayed in war, they prayed at bedtime, they prayed before eating, they prayed in a closet, in a cave, on a mountainside, in a shepherd's field, by a river, by the sea, on a housetop, while in prison, in the wilderness, in the temple, in the stomach of a great fish, (laughs) and on the cross. Anywhere, everywhere, All kinds of prayer. All of these, prayer, supplication, intercession, and thanksgiving are necessary to the genuine Christian whose heart is right with God. Frequently praying with all prayer and supplication. Ongoing. You know, interceding for others can bring victory to your own life. Think about the affliction of Job. You know what he went through. God ordained it. God and His sovereignty allowed Job to lose his sons, his daughters, his livelihood, everything that he owned, and then his health. But the devil was not allowed to touch his life. And while he sat there in great pain and misery, and he had three friends to come by, who at first sat and listened and just sat and quietly, then they had to open up their mouths and try to figure out, well, there must be some sin in your life, Right? But Job 42.10 says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. 1 Samuel 12.23, Samuel said, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. You know, prayer more than anything else changes you. Changes me. Because when I pray... Not my will, but thy will be done. Pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's aggressive prayer. Aggressive prayer, biblical prayer. Praying in a manner that is according to the thinking of God. You know, a lot of people also think that Everything that happens, no matter how evil it is, that everything is just God's will. Now, God is sovereign, amen? Adultery is not God's will. Murder is not God's will. Rape is not God's will. Broken homes are not God's will. Molestation is not God's will. Abuse is not God's will. But He will use sin and evil to accomplish His purpose. you got God's sovereign will that He determines and allows things to happen, and then you have His commanded will. And even when His commanded will is violated, He will work all things for the glory of Himself. All things work together for the good of those who what? Love God and are called according to His purpose. 
because you know God's eventually going to destroy all evil. Therefore, His people are called to pray, Thy will be done, you see? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray His will, we read His word, and we'll pray rightly when we understand His heart, amen? We'll understand His heart. See, when you truly pray, and I say truly, truly underline that, when you truly pray for God's will to be done, you are forcefully pursuing His will for your life. Come on, somebody. And at the same time, you're separating yourself from the world system that violates daily His commanded will. To pray God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven is only possible through God's own people. You see that? And yet so many Christians don't pray. There's a lot of true Christians they just don't pray. Very weak prayer life. Impotent, powerless prayer lives. Hopefully today well, that will change for us. Amen? Only God's people can effectively pray and have what it takes to pray effectively. And that leads us to point number three. They have power. They have power to pray. Because we're called to pray at all times without ceasing in what? With all prayer and supplication in the what? In the Spirit. In the Spirit. Now, very important. Praying in the Spirit is not here praying in tongues. This is not praying in tongues. We pray to the Father, through the Son, and in the Spirit, according to His Word. This is simply praying under the influence of the Spirit of God who dwells in you and who breathed the words of the Bible. Praying under His influence, being granted His wisdom and His assistance to pray in a godlike manner, biblical manner. If you follow the typical surveys that are done today, like 84% of Americans say they're a Christian, and most people in those same type of surveys will say that they pray to God. When you ask them what do they pray for, typically they pray for protection, for success, for these, these certain wish lists. A wish list that you know they think prayer is like a bottle and God's a genie, right? And you just buff it up and okay, God, I pray for this, this, and this, right? Fame, success, fortune. The health and wealth and prosperity gospel, which is from the pit of hell, by the way. That's what most people pray. We're called to pray in the Spirit. Because we have the Spirit. If you're in Christ, amen? We have the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage. We've been freed, amen? We're free. Again, to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption in whom we cry out... Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic term for the Hebrew word Father. Papa, Daddy, that's what it means. That's the intimacy that God has with those that are His. You have that intimacy with God. Papa, Father, Daddy. And just as a father-child relationship is nurturing, so is our relationship with God nurturing in that God wants us to delight in Him. And if we delight in Him, we will pray according to His thinking. We want to please our Father. We will pray in the Spirit. There's the power. James confirms that some do not pray in the Spirit. James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask, and you do not receive. Because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. These are the self-gratifying, self-centered, non-kingdom-focused prayers. You know, visualize the object, visualize success in your life, and it will become yours. That's the secret. 
And the church globs onto that kind of garbage and then they start feeding the people with that health, wealth, prosperity, gospel nonsense. Just visualize it. Pray it, brother. Word of faith. If you don't say it, it's not going to become a reality. That's a lie from the pit of hell, too. Don't waste your time with those people who preach that stuff. It's so unbiblical. That's idolatry. You want to visualize something? Get focused on what you're visualized on? You are now bowing down to an object. It's idolatry. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of anything in heaven above, earth below, or sea beneath the earth. For I, the Lord your God, am as a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers for generations of those who hate me, showing mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You know, it's absolutely possible to pray with fervency, with zeal, and even eloquence, and your prayers do not go beyond the ceiling. At the same time, it's possible to pray quietly in the Spirit, not having all the grand theological terminology, praying according to Scripture, and see God's hand move in mighty ways. Did you know that? Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. The Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus talks about prayer. Verse 5, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. There's nothing wrong with praying with eloquence. There's nothing wrong with praying with theological correct terminology. Not at all. But what's the motive behind the prayer? If it's to impress the people around me, then there's your reward, right? But you, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do. Now I lay me down to see, but pray the Lord my soul to keep. Pray, let's pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right? Or thank you for this food and the same utterance over and over and over again. Or even uttering the, uh, the prayer that the Lord gave to the apostles as a, as, as a template for how to pray. You could say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some people just utter that prayer over and over again. Vain repetition. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. And in this manner pray therefore, Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be their name. Begin with praising God. God, you are worthy of praise. I hallow your name. Praise you for all that you are. I thank you, my Lord. I thank you, my Savior. You are holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Father God, I pray that your will be done through my life. And whatever it takes, Lord, I just pray that you grant me the wisdom to know that it's your will so that I can persevere and focus with, any, with a kingdom eternal purpose for your glory. And then go into your daily needs, provision. Confess our sins. Forgive others who've sinned against us, right? Do not lead us into temptation. God tempts no one with evil. We're tempted by evil because when we're drawn away and enticed by our own evil desires, what God does allow is trials in our life. Amen? then the devil comes and attempts to turn the trial into a temptation. So that we give reason for the enemies of God to blaspheme. You see, oh, there's another Christian. There you go. There's your Christianity for you, right? No. Praying according to His will. This is a template for prayer. This is a model prayer. It's not to be uttered over and over and over again. It's to teach us how to pray. Not only does the Spirit teach us to pray, He also intercedes for us. Have you ever been praying for somebody or for something, and you're so grieved, words can't even come out, you don't even know how to put words together? Right? There's hope. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows all what the mind knows the heart of the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The spirit of God. 
brings meaning to the words that you are unable to utter. In times of despair. Right? Because you have the Spirit of God in you, you see? So He intercedes on our behalf. What a joy, amen? What a joy. So while the Spirit leads us, He empowers us and teaches us to pray, we grow with this certain view and determination in prayer. Which leads us to point number four. It's the approach of prayer. Being watchful to this end with all what? Perseverance. A watchful and persevering prayer life means to be attentive and vigilant in prayer with a great eternal perspective of life. Watchful means to be alert, to be sleepless, spiritually sleepless. No spiritual slumber. When I get caught up in the things of the world and what the world's doing, what the world laughs at, and I partake of those things, that is spiritual slumber. If I violate my conscience over and over again when the Spirit of God is pricking me, pricking my conscience and convicting me, when I violate conscience over and over again, I am now spiritually in slumber. The guard's down. Jesus asked the disciples to pray the night that he was to be arrested. In Mark chapter 14, verse 37, he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I told you earlier my flesh is weak. It's still weak. We're weak right now. It's only the Spirit of God in you that gives you the strength to even crucify the flesh and its lustful desires. It was only a matters, matter of hours prior to Jesus saying this that, Jesus, that Peter was warned by Jesus. And in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, he's going to leave him, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Oh Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. There's the pride, right? Take heed lest you fall. And he was about to fall. I'll go to prison and to death. And then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. See, Peter went to sleep when he should have been praying. And the result there was victory for the enemy. He couldn't take his soul. Peter was the Lord's. That's why the Lord said, when you return to me, you will return to me. But you will fail. And you're standing in your own strength right now. You're not ready to die. You're going to run. Matter of fact, you're going to deny me. And it wasn't long after that, the rest of Jesus, that the greatest consequences of prayerlessness, Mark 14, 67 to 72, there's a servant girl there. Hey, 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 you're of him. You're a Galilean. You're a follower of this Jesus. I don't know him. Start cursing. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then the rooster crowed. Peter was grieved. He went away grieved. He was grieved because he was a true child of God. And he was repentant. If you're not grieved, you're just callous. Callous, 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 callous. There's no deep grieving. There's no sorrow for sin. The consequences of sin is death, right? Worldly, there's two types of sorrow. There's a godly sorrow that produces repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. Worldly sorrow produces death. That's a sorrow of, yeah, the con my consequences found me out. I'm only sorry for the consequences of my sin. Not that I grieved the Spirit of God. Peter was grieved that he grieved God. Sorrowful that led to repentance. If you can violate conscience over and over and there is no conviction by the inward conviction of the Holy Spirit who dwells true believers, like Paul said, please examine yourself to even see if you're in the faith. We ought to be cautious about temptations that will cause us to fall. 
cause us to neglect the work of God? Because the devil's desire and attempt is to sift you like wheat. Just like he did Peter. Spiritually sift you as wheat. One 16th century commentator wrote, It was while Saul slept, King Saul, remember Saul slept in camp, deep sleep, David could have gone in and cut his head off. But David instead took his spear and took his water jug. Remember the story? It was while Saul slept that his spear and water jug were taken. While Samson slept in Delilah's lap, he was shorn of his locks. Sisera's head was nailed to the ground while sleeping in Jael's tent, which is a type of those fastened, who's fastened themselves to earthly things. Like Jonah sleeping in the storm, who's, those, spiritual, those spiritually asleep shall only awake to be plunged into destruction. End quote. Samson's power was in his hair. But he had a lust issue. He loved women. And he loved foreign women. And he went after foreign women. And the foreign woman, in his affection, got the secret of God's power through him. And it was in his hair. And while he slept on her lap, cut it off. They ended up plucking his eyes out. And he did the work of an ox for the rest of his life. Sisera's head, J.L., he slept in her tent. She allowed him to go into the tent. She took a tent stake, put it in his temple, drove it through his temple, pierced his head to the ground. And this commentator, therefore he says, this is a type of those who fasten themselves to earthly things. Jonah slept in a storm, right? He was running from God. And he's on a ship with a bunch of pagans. And the pagans knew enough, this is God. And there's the true man of God doing what? It's a Three Stooges snore right there. They cast lots, they go, it's him. They threw him overboard, right? Keep on praying, believer. Don't give up. Persist, persist, persist. You don't feel like praying? Pray. Tell God you don't feel like praying. God, give me strength. I don't feel like praying. Give me wisdom. Help my weak flesh. You can only overcome it in the power. And praying like this will give you a focus that is outside of yourself. And that leads to point number five, the focus of prayer. The focus of prayer is supplication for all the saints. Praying on behalf of your fellow believers, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. For all the saints. No one is so strong in spiritual strength or some spiritual giant to that they don't need the prayers of the saints on their behalf, you see. No Christian goes into the battle praying for himself. We have to go into the battle unified, praying for one another, amen? Praying for one another. When you begin to pray for one another, your focus will soon be off of you. As you pray for one another, you'll realize that other people got your back covered. The most of the time I spend praying for myself is confessing my sin. Wretched, miserable sinner that I am, saved by grace, by the blood. And I'm praying for the body. Praying that this church would be strengthened in the inner man. And then when individuals come up who I've either talked with or know what's going on in their life, pray for them specifically. Pray for the saints around you. Pray for their growth, their spiritual growth. Pray for their families that they'll have wisdom to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Pray for their new marriages. Pray for their old marriages. Pray for unbelieving spouses. Pray for people who think they're Christians and you have a discernment that they, if you don't think they are, according to Scripture, pray for their salvation. There's no more fearful passage of Scripture than Matthew 7. In that day when the Lord returns, many are going to cry out, Lord, Lord, and He's going to say, I never knew you. That's frightening. These are people who truly thought they knew Jesus Christ. And they did works of ministry in His name, and He said, I never knew you. We have to be spiritually attentive to people's lives. And if they bear no fruit of true Christianity, let's pray for their salvation, whether they know it or not. Amen? We must pray for all the saints. Pray for their growth. And 
A perspective like this will deliver you from yourself and a feeble prayer life. Oh God, I pray that we'll have fun. That's a fifth grader prayer. Let us have fun and have a good time and blah, blah, blah. Nonsense. It's a child's prayer. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I grew up, I put childish things away. It leads to a biblical perspective, an eternal perspective, and selflessness. The great D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite Bible teachers of all time, in his commentary and exposition of Ephesians, he wrote, he wrote this, and I quote, Before the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War in Barcelona, Madrid, and other places, there were psychological clinics with, with large numbers of neurotics undergoing drug treatments and others attending regularly for psychoanalysis and such like. They had their personal problems, their worries, their anxieties, their temptations, having to go back week after week, month after month to the clinics in order just to keep on going. And then came the Civil War. And one of the first and most striking effects of the war was that it virtually emptied the psychological and psychiatric clinics. These neurotic people were suddenly cured by a greater anxiety. The anxiety about their whole position, whether their homes would still be there, whether their husbands would still be alive, whether their children would be killed. Their greater anxieties got rid of the lesser ones. And having to give attention to the bigger problems, they forgot their own personal and somewhat petty problems. End quote. We're called to pray in harmony with the Holy Spirit. There were greater issues here. And they realized... I don't have time to be wasting on psychoanalysis for myself. Because my kids could be dead, amen? Or my husband could be dead. My home could be destroyed. So I'm going to put that nonsense away. That's what happened here. What a great picture. What a great illustration. Just as the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, we're called to intercede for one another. And the more you intercede on behalf of one another, the more you understand what's going on in people's lives and the spiritual struggles in their growth in Christ, you'll soon lose focus of our petty problems or earthly desires that really don't matter in eternity because all of that is going to burn. This watch is going to burn. It's not expensive, by the way. It's going to burn. It's going to be gone. It shows me I need to wrap up. Now, some may raise the question, if God is sovereign, if He's chosen those who are His before the foundation of the earth, if He's chosen His elect, and the elect will certainly come to faith, why pray? You ever heard that? Have you ever asked that? You don't have to answer that. This morning, Larry opened up with a reading in Daniel. And the reason he opened with that, I want him to open with that reading is that the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied the Babylonian captivity of God's own elect people would be for 70 years. Jeremiah 25 verse 11 says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then it will come to pass, when the 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So God in His sovereignty allowed His people to be taken captive by the enemies of God for His own purpose, and then once the 70 years were over, He punished the nations that took Him into captivity. That's a sovereign God. That's amazing. Now Daniel's in the midst of this captivity. Daniel opens to this prophecy. He understood that the time of their deliverance was near. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Everything you promised, you know what he did? He just didn't stand back and go, oh, the Lord's going to do it. He went into deep interceding prayer to that which was already written. He understood something according to Scripture, therefore he prayed. 
Will God save those He's chosen before the foundation of the earth? Answer, absolutely, without a doubt. What do we do on behalf of those we know who don't know Christ? What do we do? We pray. Daniel knew that somehow his prayers within the sovereign framework of God mesh together and work together somehow. We can't figure it out, but we know that's what we're called to do. For some reason, somehow that all works together. When you get to heaven, you'll know it all. Amen? But until then, we'll persevere in prayer to have an eternal perspective granted to us through Scripture by the power of the Spirit in us, which empowers the armor. And ultimately, believers, our prayers are only as powerful as is the intake of Scripture into us. Our prayers are only as powerful as is our intake of Scripture. Now, do we know that Christ will return? It's a guarantee. But oh, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come, don't we? Come Lord Jesus! I can't wait. I can't wait to enter glory. I can't wait until the last person comes to faith in Jesus Christ and He takes us into glory. And then you won't have to deal with the sin in you anymore. Oh, wicked man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? Amen. I'm so tired of it. But by His grace we persevere. Amen. Finally, verse 19. We see Paul's kingdom-focused request. Here's a man of God, boy. Here is a man of God. So he now prays to the church. He, he asks, rather, the church of Ephesus to pray for him. He said, And for me, pray that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. This is not prayer for... He wasn't requesting temporal relief. He was not praying to receive freedom from his discomfort. He was not praying for healing of the chafe marks underneath the chains that he was in. He didn't pray for that. He didn't even pray to be delivered from prison so that he could freely preach the gospel. Instead, he prays, he asks that God would enable him to preach where he was at in that condition. That utterance may give, be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's what he asked him to pray for. Is that an eternal perspective or what? This guy was in prison. Paul requested divine assistance in his preaching because he knows that there is no preaching that has power except that which is anointed and empowered by the Spirit of God through the correct teaching of His Word. I'm not talking about motion of, motion of motivational speakers. People on their way to hell are motivational speakers. They can stir up a crowd. I'm talking about moving the inward person of God by His Word. That's what he prayed for. That's what he wanted. That was his desire. That was his prayer request. He begs his readers that words would be given to him when he opens his mouth. That he will fearlessly make known the gospel, keeping nothing back. Not a disguised gospel. An undisguised gospel. The true gospel. That's what he, that's what he asked for. And then in verse 20, here we have a servant-minded representative that we all need to take heed to. Verse 19, For me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, an ambassador is someone in whom a sovereign or a ruler or a monarch speaks through. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, believer. I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors for Christ in a world that's on its way to hell. That's what we are. That's, really, that's exactly what it means. There's no easy way to say that. You can tell people they're on their way to hell. I mean, you can say it like this. You're on your way to hell. I mean, you can start the gospel with love, absolutely. 
But love leads you back to God's wrath and His judgment and His perfect law. And then you go back to the provision of perfect love on the cross, you see. Start with love. Go for it. But just make sure you get back to the law. The standard of perfection. No one can meet the standard. Therefore, Christ is the only hope. And speak it boldly. Do it in love, but we do it boldly. We're ambassadors. We are mouthpieces for the Lord Jesus Christ. Imploring the lost world through us. Channels of truth. So Paul's request was to speak with boldness. And it was even the Apostle Paul that solicits the prayers of the church at Ephesus. This is the great Apostle Paul. This is one of the apostles in which were granted gifts in the apostolic era of the first century church. Signs, miracles, and wonders were granted to them to authenticate their ministerial role of apostle. Miracles, signs, supernatural healings, and so on. Signs of an apostle. Not everyone had those gifts. Signs of an apostle. To authenticate their divine role. He is asking the church for prayer. Man, ask for prayer. One of the things about being a member here, you're going to have access to our web page that only members can get on, and you're going to be able to put down personal prayer requests that other people can be praying for you so they know what's going on in your life. That's one of the reasons we want to make sure we know who members are, because we just don't want anybody rolling in here and go praying on P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, praying on young ladies that are snakes or something like that. That's why we do membership. We want to know who we're dealing with. It's my job to protect the flock. And the other elders' job to protect the flock. So we need to know who the flock is. Paul prayed this prayer. So this ending application is a reminder that this is exactly what God requires of us, brothers and sisters. Now look, let's be real. All of us in here right now are discouraged. Oh, my prayer life is nothing. You know what? I read like the great Puritan preachers of old, and I read about these stories about these guys who knelt by their bedside, and there was groove marks in their wood floors because of their knees being down. They're praying all the time. That's very discouraging. <laughs> when I compare my prayer life to those brothers, and I've heard that story attributed to so many different people, I don't know who really did wear grooves in their wood floors, but... Guys like Spurge and all these heroes of mine, Calvin and Luther and all these guys, the more work they had to do in a day, the more they spent time in prayer. It's amazing. But you can pray throughout the day, all day, everywhere, being consciously aware of your Redeemer, of your sa Savior, by the power of the One who indwells in you, the Spirit of God, reveals Himself through the truth of God. The more you know this, the more you know how to pray. Amen? It's all of us. If you're discouraged right now, walk out of here with this encouragement. Start exercising the gift of prayer more often. When you exercise something, you get stronger. When you let it go, it dies. When you neglect it, it gets weakened. The less you pray, the less you feel like praying. The less you study, the less you feel like studying. The more you study, the more you saturate with your tr yourself with the truth, you become more hungry, more thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's a promise. Please, pray for me. Pray that utterance would be given to me to preach the gospel with power and authority from on high. And pray for one another that this body would be edified in the truth, living out the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And then we'll be true missionaries, because you're all in full-time ministry if you're a Christian. And the mission field is right out that door and right out that door. Amen? So whatever you do, you're in full-time ministry. Pray for one another. Cover one another in prayer. The more you cover one another in prayer, the less feeble your prayers will become. They become eternal. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And then we will see power unleashed by the Spirit of God who indwells us, who are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, and you long to have a prayer life like this, or you long to have fellowship like this, bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, confess that you're a sinner, and confess and admit that He is the only way and the only person who can justify you. In other words, He's the only person that can slam down the gavel and say, declared free of all blame. Because then the righteousness of the Son covers you and you now become a child of God and your life will change if you truly submit 
truly submit yourself in repentance to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I can guarantee it. Right here in the book. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the authority of Scripture. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank, we thank you for the sovereign rule and reign of you, Almighty God, our Father, Abba, Father. The finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the fact that you sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower us, to enable us, to teach us, to intercede for us, to enable us, and to empower the armor of God. Help us to be quick to prayer. Help us to be submitted in prayer. Help us to focus on praying for one another. May we grow with an increasing desire of eternal things. And may we have a deeper desire to separate ourselves from worldly things. For your glory. For your honor. That we, as the body of Christ, would rightly reflect the head, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.